Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 167, 167. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, uh, a lot of a lot of news stories being broken this week. None bigger uh, than Sergio's uh, recent article this week. It looks like the uh, the shape of Texas oil and gas has been changed forever, and uh, the heart of oil and gas in the world is mm-hmm. now located in the Barnett. It seems. You know, we've we're 167 episodes in, as you pointed out. The headline should have read, "They did it." Just three words: "They did it." Everyone would have known. We have been predicting, calling for, and actively willing the Barnett to rise from the ashes like the Phoenix and dominate the global oil and gas scene uh, once again. And now we have done that. Um, they did it. I- I'm wondering if we should cancel the show. To be quite honest with you, we might have, we might have peaked. We might have done our part. You know, it's um, we're there now. But that being said, I am a little concerned here, Josh. I mean. I don't know if this is looking a gift horse in the mouse or not, but are we concerned on any level? And this is a serious question here. Are we concerned that it's the French that are the ones that are actually drilling the Barnett? Like, is that, I feel like that might be a problem. I mean, I don't know. How's that hit you? Well, what, wasn't they our allies back in uh, the revolutionary war the French? Uh, they our oldest ally. Yeah. Okay. yeah okay. So- whoa, whoa, whoa. Do y'all not remember freedom fries? I, know you're, you're, you're I remember about. Freedom Fries, but Jacques Chirac isn't president anymore. Although we, we do have Freedom Gas now, and I think that Barnett, the Barnett Shale is a big producer of natural gas, right? So, freedom, yes, yeah, it, yeah. so if we've got Freedom Gas and the French come in and start drilling for Freedom Gas, do we have to start calling it French gas then? <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. They're a bunch of communists. Uh, you know, I don't know if we just got, we just got to be careful. We just have to be careful. Everyone's worried about the left from Bernie coming in and we're bringing in the French socialists to drill our wells while the city of Arlington is barring us. I'm not you know, trying to look a gift horse in the mouth. But. They burned their second cathedral in two years just a couple of months ago, so they're, they're probably going to be flaring all over the place too. <laughs> no, no, it's good news despite the fact it's the French that did it. But, you know, it just feels like you would have liked to have read the story about some local guy here in the Barnett who him and his buddies scraped together and they're the ones to turn it around. Uh, but you know, you, you can't have it all. So it, it's exciting news. It did finally make above the fold, uh, at least for the drilling down section of Sergio's piece. Um, the reporting is somewhat accurate. You know, he does get the number right, but the, the causal force, which is the Texas and gas podcast. Do you think total would have known about the Barnett show without us? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, they probably, they probably like, what is this Barnett show? These guys keep talking about. So, um, total, we would ex- we'll look forward to some royalty checks in the mail. Um, in the future and Sergio, uh, you know, you can just next time you can say they did it or, or if the Chronicle wants to do an expose, like a full cover piece of us talking about how we revitalized the Barnett shell. That's fine. I, I am concerned, Josh, about hotels and food and overcrowding here. You know, you know, fit, what was it? 15 rigs. You know, we might, you know, it, it could get, could get crowded here. The log jams of traffic, the road deterioration, you know, all the problems we saw in the Permian when they had hundreds of rigs, we could see here, very soon at this pace. If we add 15 rigs a week, just think about it, or just double our count every week. You know, we're, we're going to be out of capacity soon. So this is, um, it's, 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 it's exciting times. 
So just to just to clarify on some of the numbers we have, uh, they total filed for 16 new horizontal wells across 10 leases in Tarrant County. Um, so lots of information there. We'll we'll link that in the show notes. But uh, basically, what we're saying is that the Barnett is the backbone of the world, more or less. That's that's <laughs> the gist of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where the Texas oil and gas podcast is located. And that, uh, that definitely dictates the the shape of current energy events globally. So it President Trump sense. thinks it's the uh, epicenter of the oil and gas world. Yes. Yes. Well, he's, you know, he also invented oil and gas, so he's got that going for him. <laughs> can't, we can't saved leave. the industry, created the industry, created it, destroyed it, and then saved it. That you takes know what? <laughs> Donald Trump probably invented time travel, went back in time, killed all the dinosaurs, and made oil. <laughs> okay. I could see him saying that. I could see him saying that. So, yeah, that was a unique claim, though. He, he created it and then saved it. So, good, you know, <laughs> we covered that, what, last episode or two episodes yeah. ago? I can't remember. Yeah. But, yes, yeah, so, you know, 167 episodes in, we have done our work. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, do they give us, like, a Nobel Peace Prize? Like, what, what comes with this now? Like, do we get like keys to the city, not the city of Arlington because they're communists, but like just Fort Worth or Dallas? I feel like the Petroleum Club should make us like lifetime members, you know? Um, maybe Abbott should have us down to the White House or the, not the White House, the, the Capitol down there in Austin. Um, United Nations should have us maybe on the floor for a day or two. I'm, not, I'm just trying to think of. Well, they could forego all those niceties and just cut us a check. check. You know? Yeah. Cash, preferably. <laughs> Unmarked bills. <laughs> we'll take that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, as some of you may know, some of you may not have realized, it's been uh, it's been warm outside for the last couple of weeks. So, uh, it's good news for the natural gas. Uh, so, the title of this article is Hot Weather Sends Natural Gas Prices Surging. So, uh, they jumped 30 cents uh, Monday. That was last week. Uh, last Monday, they jumped 30 cents and put it at 210 uh, $2 and 10 cents. And then they jumped uh, a few cents again each day through the week and ended it at uh, end of the week at 224. Uh, that gives, that gives the market some, uh, some good margin. So we're seeing, we're seeing some natural gas prices uh, go up, uh, unfortunately for, uh, for these gas companies uh, that are companies that focus on gas. Um, I don't know how long this is going to last with uh the, well, the, the Barnett coming demand. back, we're going to just drill, you know, the Barnett, you know, the behemoth that it is, we're, we might just drill the price down to zero. I mean, we might go negative in the gas. We might go negative now. That's a concern. That's a concern. So we needed to get hotter outside to offset all of the good things you're doing in the Barnett. That's what you're saying. Yeah, we're, 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 we're skating on thin ice now, though, bro. It's... <laughs> <laughs> I just figured it out. I figured it out. Okay. So if it gets hotter... Use more natural gas, right, for energy. Okay, so if you want to stay hot, what do you do? You pollute the atmosphere and cause global warming to keep it hot. There it is. Keep gas prices up. Keep oil prices going. That's how we do it, just like that. The what's, the opposite, what's the opposite of green? Are we like, are we like the the brown <laughs> environmental group or? Green pizzas out there are like losing their mind right now. <laughs> like they admitted it. This clip we played at all Green Peace rallies. Here's the inside covert conspiracy of oil and gas people. Here yeah. comes the uh, the tidal wave of one star reviews. Yeah. Pollute the atmosphere yeah. to keep the prices high. Yeah, yeah everyone, that. go out there and get your cows to fart as much as possible. We need <laughs> we need these greenhouse gases. 
Oh, yeah. Well, you know, gas, listen, what everyone say about natural gas, it saw its heyday this year when it was higher than WTI, when, of course, WTI was like negative, you know, a bazillion dollars, but it did, it did pass WTI up for a day. So it had that going for it. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I know we got some more stories uh, they are going to talk about some of this in a little bit, uh, but the concern with all these demand prices is that we're at kind of peak time. Of course, you have the, the winter that'll come back around depending on how cold it is will impact some natural gas stuff. But, you know, Josh, if you're talking, I mean, they're talking right now and I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but maybe all of college football will be canceled. So mm-hmm. um, now I know New York said they're opening up schools. I don't know if that was, they have to, or they can, I wasn't sure. I know they can, but I don't know if it was a, if they have to um, just say that, but you know, LA, San Diego, Chicago, they're, they're shutting down schools for a little while. Um, you know, all these decisions that impact demand, you know, the more that we say less demand, less demand, less demand, the prices just will eventually have to suffer. And so it feels like everything's a little bit artificially high right now. Of course, the heat is helping keep the natural gas up. But I think Australia, I saw, did you see about Australia banning flights until like the end of the year? Is that what I saw? I didn't see that. My goodness. Um, uh, let's see here. Let me pull it up real quick. Um, uh, maybe I misread. I thought I read oh, maybe New Zealand. Um, yeah, here it is. That's three weeks ago. Hmm. I saved an article somewhere. If I find it, I'll tweet it out later. But I think I saw Australia was either going to or did um, close their borders for an extended period of time. Now, I don't know how many flights a day go down from, you know, the U.S. to Australia under normal times, but those are big, those are big uh, jet, jet fuel. Here it is. Here it is for Reuters. This is from August the 9th at 6.45 p.m., so last night. Australia borders to stay shut as COVID-19 daily health reaches, uh, reach re- deaths reach records. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison said internal border, border closures were unlikely to lift before Christmas as the country on Monday reopened um, the single COVID deal. Uh, more hopeful than I was. I didn't read this. I read the headline. I read it to be that external, but it might just be internal um, crossings. But I've tried to go back and, and look this up a little bit more now. Let's see. Yeah, I think it, I may, maybe it's in-country travel um, now that I read the, the four article, not the headline. But regardless, the more that we shut things down, keep things going, we've been saying this for a while, it's not rocket science the less demand there is. So, um, less the concern, mate. Well, speaking of some of the uh, natural gas stuff, there's also a concern where the Railroad Commission um, is trying to tighten up on some of the flaring issues. Um, And so, as that happens, as they tighten down the flaring and and reduce that, um, I think you're going to see more natural gas uh, added to to the supply, which is not going to be good for uh, companies that are hoping that see that price go up. Uh, and that's been one of the things we've been talking about for a while as we reduce flaring, it looks like that's going to reduce natural gas prices. I mean, that, that just seems, I don't know how they can get around that. Um, and so uh, this, this article just says they're focusing on it right now because now the uh, production is not as hot and heavy as it was. And so it gives them some time to maybe um, institute some new regulations that may be easier to, have in place when uh, things begin to ramp back up. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting because, uh, and real quick, I looked it up. So Australia's borders 
are still closed. That that article is talking about internal travel for Australia. So you can't go to Australia right now, as I understand it. Um, yeah. So the flaring thing is interesting because, you know, if the Railroad Commission wanted to do something on flaring, it or they if they want to do something on flaring, I should say, right now when we're debating over where we can wear a mask or not, it's probably not the time to roll out this, this piece of you know legislation or, or do something. Now you have people who are going to follow this because they follow the industry, but it is kind of one of those things where, you know, it, it kind of slips under, under the radar. If you're not really just following the, um, the, the, um, the news and here's some of the revisions the period of time for which an operator may attain an administrative exception to flare gas will be reduced in many cases. For certain exceptions, the duration may be, may be reduced by 50% to 80%. Incentives will be produced, will be provided for operators to use technologies to reduce the amount of gas flared. Operators must provide more specific information to justify the need to flare or vent gas in, the, in accordance with the commission rules. Players will be related to specific production properties to facilitate compliance with reported production. Tracking the new information and data points will be valuable in any future efforts. Da, da, da. So it's that one right there in the middle. Operators must provide more specific information to justify the need to flare or vent gas in accordance with the commission rules. It's that kind of stuff that you have to watch for because more specific doesn't necessarily be more stringent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It just yep. might mean we had a one-page form, and now you got a two-page form. It, okay, well, you just typed another hundred, couple hundred words. It could mean more specific means vastly more stringent. So the, that's, I think, you know, stuff like that is what you kind of have to watch is, well, what does this mean, and then how is the commission going to evaluate this moving forward? Of course, you're going to have challenges and things like that. Um, but I, um, you know, it's, it's definitely worth watching. It's an issue that the commission can probably get a lot of compliance on right now as well, because uh, there's fewer rigs. People are looking for something to get the industry going again. And so, you know, if you're th- if you think that, you know, flaring is going to help the industry, then, you know, and or, or yeah, reducing flaring will help the industry, then there you go. So it makes you wonder about stuff like we're talking about with the Barnett though, how will it impact the Barnett? Um, yeah. You know, because uh, again, right now it's kind of things are so slow. It's not necessarily the, the, the main deal, but it will be at some point. All right. So we got, uh, we have BP here. Uh, they, they've been in the news this week. Uh, so it, what they said, uh, an article with oilprice.com, uh, the article, the title of it is BP to sell oil and gas assets, even if prices rebound. So BP has been pushing to go green for some time and, uh, and, and they're trying to be net zero by twenty. 50. Um, so they're saying that even if prices go up, that they're still looking to offload their oil and gas assets. Now, well, let's be clear here. This is according to three unnamed sources, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not their official policy. And so it could be, but it could be also them floating it out there to see how the stockholders respond to it as well. Right. Yeah. So I, what I was thinking was, you, you, you say this and then oil hits 70 mm-hmm. and then you, you, you up all your, your assets and you buy more oil and gas and you increase drilling. And someone asks you about it and say, well, we never put that statement out. 
we we didn't officially say that that we were offloading that. Those were unnamed sources. Unnamed so sources. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's a brilliant move, honestly, to do this. <laughs> I mean, if you go out and and kind of test it out, because if people respond to this and their stock starts to go up, and and they're not really tied to anything, and it's uh, you know, there's no obligation for them to to follow this through. I wouldn't yeah. be I wouldn't be surprised though if they did continue to move in this direction, especially with a Biden presidency. I think uh, did you see his um, his ad that he ran where he said that America has an opportunity to be at the forefront of uh, cars, and uh, and he he was saying that the uh, the way to do that was is through electric. So he he's pushing he's going to be pushing for electric vehicles really really hard. I think if if he wins, and BP may be floating this out there as a way of pivoting um, for that. Because I think it's also a sharp thing. Well, you know, I think the if you look at the kind of take it from two standpoints, kind of the onshore and the offshore standpoint. So the offshore are the projects that take you know years to get them the rigs out there going, stuff like that. Um, the onshore stuff can be done at least in Texas, um, where we're at, a little bit quicker. So, you know, it's it's when you say we're going to change, get rid of our acreage, or get you know um, shift our acreage. Um, you know, one of the things, and I, I don't know, maybe one of the listeners knows, like what percentage of acreage does BP have that's really not viable? Like these are just the types of questions I would want to know. So BP, let's just make up a number. Let's say BP's got, you know, hundred million acres. Um, is all 100 million acres actually really viable stuff? So in theory, BP could cut from hundred million acres to 50 million acres, but really the 50 million they cut was not really ever going to produce much, right? It's just, it's just kind of borderline fringe stuff. Okay. So you got to kind of get into the weeds on, on what these things mean. So then on one hand you go, well, we, we reduced our acreage by 50%. Of course, the production levels, though the future projected production might not have gone down that much because really you kept all the good stuff. Um, and then you can have kind of appease to the, to the green movement by saying, well, we've cut our, we've cut our, our footprint down drastically. Look at, look what we did here. Um, but then, you know, you still produce, Basically the same animal. So that would be kind of one thing. Like when they talk about getting rid of acreage, because they're going to get rid of some, you know, what acreage is it? Is the onshore stuff? Is the offshore stuff? And then, you know, do we know, uh, and I'm not going to surround track this and you're not either, but, you know, will, will we track, you know, five, 10 years from now that acreage and see what happens to it? Was it really good acreage or was it no? It was borderline suspect stuff because that's a, that's a big thing here. You talk about, you know, PR and kind of, uh, you know, being, being shrewd. That's one thing. And the other thing is, is it, it's it's very trendy to say that right now, but if oil prices go back to, you said 70, let's say they go back to 100 and they stay at 100 for a long period of time, well, it's more likely that BP will come and then overpay for borderline acreage or, great, or, or overpay for great acreage at that point. And so then they're back at a spot to where they've, <laughs> they could have just kept what they had and kept on going instead of uh, unloading it now. So, you know, if they're going, if they are going to actually get rid of their acreage, um, and of course you talk about getting rid of by twenty, what twenty fifty? You said, well, they're dead zero by twenty fifty. Um, they're getting rid of their acreage by twenty thirty, I think. What was, anyways, um, you know, well, by then you've drilled a lot. You, you could have drilled a lot of it. So all this stuff is this kind of like, okay, well, let's let's see how it actually plays out. Um, if BP came out tomorrow and said, we're not drilling anymore and we're putting all of our uh, upstream, midstream, downstream, all of our stuff, we're putting it all in the market to sell, that would actually mean a lot more than 
uh, kind of the, the vague, well, we're going to do this. Well, we're going to be net zero because how you measure net zero is a, is a discussion, you know, amongst itself. They could be doing a lot of things to achieve net zero as well. Um, I just saw a uh, uh, news thing just came up where a major explosion just happened in Baltimore. I wonder if that was uh, related to gas. I don't know what that is. Hmm. Just, I saw just that right up. before. Yeah, I saw it right before we got on, but I didn't get to look into it. I saw it, it looked pretty bad with a little hmm. house or whatever it was there. Yeah, sorry. I, I just I was looking at something and uh, it it uh, it ran across the screen and it reminds me of that uh, that place that I think that I don't know there was an explosion like I guess that was like two years ago now uh, where there was a I think a gas leak underneath the house. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, we've got a couple articles here. Uh, one is Ukraine skeptical of American LNG gas pipe dreams. Um, so the, some of the comments that are in this are, is basically, we had too much gas before COVID. COVID made it a lot worse. So we're skeptical of any long-term gas plans. That's been Ukraine's comment. Um, there have been some... Um, some hopes for uh, America to capitalize on uh, growing LNG needs, not only in China, India, but also uh, in some, some of the other surrounding areas. And so uh, the comments here are, I mean, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty interesting. Like uh, I think one of them, he said, uh, I can't say the name. I don't even want to, I don't even want to Katja. Uh, it is not surprising that a new interconnection point between Poland and Ukraine has been under consideration for five years or so. But no FID has been taken yet. In my sense, is there is much more interest in it on the Polish side than on the Ukrainian side. So it's just has comments like that about what they're thinking. And, um, and you know, America obviously is looking for ways to capitalize on any opportunities. But the COVID stuff has everyone just really skeptical about the future. Yeah. And, you know, this goes back to whatever you think of Trump. You know, one of the things that he has pointed out is that you know, we're in NATO and, you know, we're defending Europe from the Russians and this, that, and the other, but they're buying their natural gas from the Russians. And, you know, one of the pipelines goes through, uh, the, the, you know, through the Ukraine. And so, as the article points out, is that Russian gas is much cheaper most of the time than LNG, but having an, another supply point that can ensure that a country gets it with no strings attached at a fair market price for that infrastructure is needed. So the, the Europeans on some level will, you know, have to decide what do they want? Do they want to get it from Russia or do they want and, and, and you know, get a better price? Um, but you have to deal with that. Or do you want to get it from the U S or somewhere else and you know, pay a little bit more and deal with that? I don't think personally that the U S should force them to do either. I do agree that it is odd that we have, troops in Germany, I would just remove some of them, um, to protect the Germans from the people they're buying their natural gas from. That makes no sense at all. If you're so scared of them, then you should be willing to pay more. And let me just make a simple analogy. If you're going to go buy, um, if you're going to go buy a a weapon, let's just say a a handgun, Josh, um, and you know, there's no doubt that you're going to have to use this weapon to save your life. Like it's not like, you know, uh, you know, Bob's coming overnight and breaking in. So you know you're going to have to use this weapon. Okay. Well, and your your options are, A, you can go you know, to the street corner and find some guy and get a cheap gun. It's a Glock. It's a cheap Glock. You know, it's a Glock, though. 
and um, and you can bring it home and you can use it that night or 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 you can go to Academy and get the brand new Glock. Now, if your life's on the line, which one are you going to pick? Uh, the one that's more expensive, <laughs> safer. Yeah, the one that you feel is safer, right? That's exactly yep. right. Now, obviously, the order of magnitude by buying the natural gas is, is a lot more than a one-off purchase. And so I, I'm sympathetic to that. But but the point still the same is that, um, first off, if you buy it from the guy on the street, he might just hold you up and take your money. And that's what they're, yeah. that's that's actually what the, the, the Europeans are arguing, um, is that you know Russia might invade us or attack us or, or whatever. Um, and so it's, it's just a simple, what, have your cake and eat it too type deal. And again, so whatever you think about Trump's doing or whatever he's not doing or whatever with Russia and, and Germany and Europe all at a side, his point still stands. And that, you know, if you want the cheaper Russian gas, that's fine. But why are we, why are we paying to, why, why, are, you, why are we protecting you from those people? And so that'd be like calling the cop up saying, Mr. Cop, I'm going to go buy a gun from a, from a shady guy down in the corner. <laughs> Will you come protect me while I buy this gun? <laughs> the cop like, no, go to Academy, homie. Like, <laughs> just go buy it there. So, um, so yeah, the whole the whole deal is is, is frustrating at the, at the double speak. And again, I'm not saying that we should compel the Europeans to do anything. Um, we should just simply not be paying for the. We should not be protecting the Europeans from the people that they want to do business with. I'm a free market guy. If you want to do business with the Russians, then do business with the Russians. Yeah, but you don't they, need to protect you from them. Yeah, if, if they screw you over, then do business with somebody else. But don't call us in to do that. Agreed. Agreed. So uh, we got one one more article here. Uh, Alberta, latest region to leverage nuclear to fight climate change. So not many areas are actually talking about this or doing this, but uh, the Canadian Nuclear Association, CNA, welcomes the province of Alberta's growing support for next generation small modular reactors as a part of Canada's march toward net zero 2050 energy. So um, not a lot of times uh, will I agree with some of the things Canada's doing. And I'm not sure exactly what, um, I haven't did a lot of research on SMRs, small modular reactors. Um, yeah, I have but, a little bit. But, uh, you think they're good investments? I mean, is this a good, is this a viable way to do nuclear? Yeah, so my understanding, and I don't know, I'm not, I'm, just here, I'm not familiar with this group. My understanding is, and if we've got a nuclear expert, um, you can call me. My understanding is at least the people I was talking to, let me just say that the people that I was talking to that were, that were in this space, their technology was still in what you call the beta stage or whatever. Mm-hmm. They were wanting the prototype to be built out. So I can't speak for all SMRs or whatever, but um, they said it was like the size of a car, you know, and it, it lasts like 20 or 40 years or whatever. And I can't remember how much power it would do, but you know, um, so, uh, but, but, and, and I can't remember, it had like a meltdown proof deal. And I, I can't remember how it worked, but it was pretty interesting. I have some, uh, some stuff to go back. I was looking at this kind of in the last year uh, with a group out of uh, the Pacific Northwest. Anyways, and um, it, was, it was interesting stuff. And so, uh, but they were saying that it was uh, the, their model, at least. I don't know how it worked for these guys. It was in the prototype stage. I don't know if that was, I took it the way this guy was saying it to me, that, that that's kind of where the industry was in general. Like, like but, but I could be wrong about that. So, um, and so there's a, a couple of things that I wanted to note. Uh, so for the Texas Roundup, there's uh, quarterly reports were coming out uh, last week. Uh, a lot of them came out like 
the day we did our show last week. But uh, a lot of the second quarter earnings reports, I think, give us a snapshot of what the industry was feeling for the last couple months. Earnings, earnings is a strong, yeah, strong word there. It's an aggressive yeah. take. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, earnings is it a strong word? <laughs> so Pioneer Natural Resources they post their biggest quarterly loss. Um, so they, it says they generated 165 million of free cash flow for the quarter, uh, but attributed to significant cost reductions in operational uh, efficiency improvements. Uh, they reported a net loss attributable to common stockholders of 439 million. That's a just for perspective for us revitalizing the barnet. That's kind of the kind of money we're looking for. Yeah, yeah. right, right in that ballpark. Per, per, uh, per, per host, per host. <laughs> per, <laughs> yeah, per host. Uh, Diamondback Energy to Q earnings snapshot. Uh, Diamondback on Monday reported a second quarter loss of $2.39 billion. So that's that's mm. about four times as much as Pioneer. Uh, that's a lot, lot of money there, man. That's uh, that's tough stuff. I hate to see that because they've been doing so well up until this stuff. It was up until the Diamondback okay. shares have decreased 57% since the beginning of the year. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Halliburton introduces uh, – so this is an earnings report. This one, I guess it may be a little out of order. So Halliburton introduces Cerebro Force Drill Bit Sensor. I was like, man, that would be cool. I'd like to get some money on that uh, understands that. I mean, what um, – yeah, that's, that's interesting. So they're they're trying to find ways to become more efficient, lower some of their costs. So I would think this this may help to uh, increase efficiency. Um, and then uh, we talked a little bit last week about Solaris. Uh, if you recall, they had mm-hmm. they made an agreement with Concho. Mm-hmm. Um, so their deal is latest on operators outsourcing water management to focus on producing oil. So I think this. Uh, contract was updated. I'm not sure what the updates are, but we'll link in the show notes if someone wants to follow that. Uh, Parsley Energy. Let me get rid of some of these real quick. Yeah, a second quarter loss of $356.0 million. $356 million loss for Parsley Energy second quarter. American oil execs held two years go to trial in Venezuela. I didn't even know that there was oil execs that that were being held in Venezuela. Yeah, yeah, they've been. It's it's been a weird deal. It's been a weird deal. And Sometimes. and you know, uh, how's that? I was about to say I, the the this is, is the USA been cool with that. We just like letting them letting them keep them in, in there? I mean, what's, what's been the, what's been the responses? I, I, I just never, for one reason or another, I just overlooked this story, I guess. I just have Well, you know, it was a big deal when it kind of happened and, you know, I haven't really thought about it until I saw this article and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. I, I'd forgotten that this had been going on because most of the talk around Venezuela is not, is not there. Um, but, you know, so we've covered this on Energy Week talking about um, Venezuela's oil company uh, Sitgo, the executives um, kind of being held hostage. And I want to say they released some at one point, but you know, there's monies that are owed. It's, it's a big fiasco, but yeah, no, it's, 
<laughs> you get the international stuff, man. There's all kinds of stuff that's always. I was listening to this thing, just on a quick tangent, uh, about Nigerian. I think it was Nigerian uh, minister talking about buying the drones, maybe some kind of missiles from China, and. But the technology was based upon maybe old Russian technology or something. I can't remember how it worked out. And so they're not really working that well. And so they're trying to decide if they want to buy them from the U.S. to pay more or buy them from China and pay less. So <laughs> I was like, you know, you, you just don't think about hearing, you know, China selling drones or Tomahawk missiles or whatever it was to, to Nigeria. So there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on out there. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. It's crazy. All right, Devon Energy, um, they are considering doing a variable dividend. Um, they So the payment could be a new model for a volatile industry out of favor with investors, says Pioneer CEO Scott Sheffield. Shares in oil and gas company slid this year as oil prices crashed. So they're trying to deal with some of the, um, you know, the variables in the stocks and uh, their volatility of late. Exxon says 20% of oil gas reserves threatened by low prices. Threatened by low prices. That's interesting that, uh, you know, we, we haven't talked too much about oil reserves, but um, that's kind of what Anas was saying, right? That, um, that we were going to hit a point with production was going to slow down so much because of prices that um, they were going to start using some of that reserve. And then when prices started to go back up, there was going to be a lag time with, uh, companies being able to gear back up to start drilling and, and meet that demand mm-hmm. so that it was going to cause a, a price spike. Yeah, that was his prediction. Yeah, so I mean, that's kind of what Exxon is saying now. Uh, Exxon tears up growth plan and attempt to defend its dividend. Tears up the growth plan to defend its dividend. So uh, th- that's you know, everything that they're planning to do. They're, they're basically scrapping it so that they can keep their, uh, their stocks valued. You know, and that's a big deal is keeping the dividend in place because, you know, lowering the dividend and or getting rid of the dividend you know, sends a signal to, to investors, especially a large portion of investors that, um, I say a large portion, there's a, there's a contingency of investors who invest in stocks because of the dividend more than anything else. Like they're wanting to get that, that quarterly check in the mail. And so getting rid of the dividend kind of shuns you from those type of investors. Obviously, you know, there's institutional investors who are wanting to get, um, you know, growth and all this other stuff, but. You know, preserving the dividend is something that, you know, has to be balanced. And I'm not saying that, that they right or wrong to do it. I don't know enough about Marathon's case particularly, but but it's it's something, if you remember when Oxy was going through their problems the past few months, you know, it was, you know, whether the they cut the dividend, how much will they cut the dividend, you know, stuff like that. And that, that all plays into this is, you know, if you can't maintain your dividend um, and you're a company who who has historically offered one, it's a, it sends a, a worrying signal to your, uh, your shareholders. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think a lot of people are, are having to face those questions. You know, I have a friend that does it. He invests in stocks, and his primary focus is on the dividends because you know that helps you know, establish a form of income for him. So, um, yeah, we, we got one more article: uh, Marathon Oil um, posts smaller than expected loss after reining in the costs. So it looks like they were proactive, tried to tried to. Um, reduce some spending and therefore their, their losses weren't, weren't as bad as they anticipated. So uh, it's not great news, but 
and it's better than better than some of the other second quarter earnings report. And Ryan, that reminds me of a couple of things I've seen just in the in the market uh, this week. So we we failed. Uh, I say we failed. We sometimes we don't appreciate the impact of places like Disneyland and the, and the impact that has on oil, oil and gas prices. Uh, people going there for vacation and mm-hmm. um, and and I think I think they posted a two billion dollar loss since the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Um, this people aren't. I mean, and and as we see that those reports are going to be coming out from not just that. I mean, they're going to be coming from all sorts of uh, areas that we yet, yet we haven't even thought of. I mean, I don't know about say Six Flags or we got Great Wolf Lodge. It's up there. I, I mean, those places are probably just getting brutalized with their with 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 their with their numbers um i know for a fact that if the covid stuff wouldn't have been going on my family would have probably stayed at great wolf at least three or four days so far this summer but we haven't Mm -hmm. went up there Mm -hmm. i mean so that's all that's travel that's investment that's hotel all that stuff is just getting tore up right now um and And, and, go ahead sorry I, i just i think that uh the impact that that is going to have on oil and gas long term is hard to appreciate because Disneyland's going to make it right. Uh, Great Wolf Lodge, I'm not sure. I probably they'll probably make it, but I, I don't know how much it costs to keep a place like that going. I mean, I just man, yeah, it's, yeah. it's uh, that's going to be tough. I know, I know a lot of the J.C. Penneys and stuff is going out of business, which I did see an article that Amazon is looking to maybe buy some of those, but um, just. So many, so many companies, so many businesses are not going to make it. And so it's going to be hard to see that demand come back um, until some of these businesses can get back up and thriving again. And uh, that's what's just hard to see. It's hard to, it's hard to watch some of that because um, it's tough. It, it is. And it's not just, as you mentioned, you have the, the demand from the, the actual loss of demand, but you know, it's also the confidence of, and, and we don't, We've kind of gotten, we kind of joke about, oh, you see someone post on Facebook and you're kind of envious of their life because they got the perfect picture, the perfect family, you know, they're living their best life and you kind of project it onto them. But we kind of forget that that's actually how we work. So if you post a picture of, you know, your family going to Chili's on Tuesday night, you know, whoever is scared of the COVID is going to be watching going, okay, they get the COVID, they get the COVID. No, they get the COVID, huh? Oh, they went to Great Wolf Lodge for three days. Oh, they're, they're going to get it now. Oh, well, they didn't get it now. Um, you know, so all of that kind of plays into the psychological factor of, so you might have people who won't go to Grateful Lodge because they're, they're, they're afraid, whereas you might be willing to go, but someone watching you go and seeing you come back, um, it brings them closer to when they're going to be ready to go do that thing. And so without being able to go and do those experiences, the people who are on the fringe or, or, or don't want to do anything, they can't watch other people go and do, you know? And so watching other people go and do is part of why we go and do stuff. And so that impact is, is well, is, is, so not only do you have the people like yourself who would have gone, um, if the great Wolf Lodge would have been open with the COVID, you have people who would have been scared to go, but they can't even tap into the, Oh, well, people are going, it is safe. And, you know, cause if you do anything right now, then you get a, you know, 500 articles about why we're all going to die. So, um, uh, Speaking of that, Josh, did, did did you see this number real quick? We're, I know, I know, we get yeah, we get this clock here. Uh, there's a new book out, and we'll uh, we'll we'll link to it in the show notes from uh, from our boy, uh, what's his name, Alex uh, Berenson. Berenson. So we'll we'll link to that. He had um, he had a, a 
little number out the other day. Little number out here. Did you did you see this? He put out a number. Let's little see. number. Little number. It was literally a little number. Per Alex Berenson, per the CDC. Since February 1st, 45 American, this is tweets a few days old, so don't at me with some new number. Um, this was last week, last Friday or Saturday. Since February, February 1, this 2020, 45 kids under 15 have died of COVID. That's 45. 45. <laughs> Nate's about to die over there, having a condition. 45. Oh no, 45 kids. Yes. So, did you guys see the the 1.5 million children who are at risk from schools not reopening, or all the kids who are starving around the world because we're not allowing the economies to work? I don't know. If oh yeah, that too. Yeah, that too. Yeah. So, uh, or did you know this, Josh? Thirteen thousand and eighty-eight kids, starting February one, have died from all other causes than COVID. So forty-five, uh, thirteen thousand from non-COVID. 45 from COVID, 13,000 non-COVID. Since Those numbers first, seem a little bit uh, disproportionate, no? It's, it's really weird. It's almost like there's a pandemic of all other things non-COVID. We have, a, we have a non-COVID pandemic going on, and the media is covering it up. It gets worse. Since February 1st, 2020, 11,371 Americans have died from COVID. Do you know what age demographic that makes up, Josh? Under 55? Under 55! Under Holy. 55! So if that you're includes not a senior those citizen. 45. Yeah. Under <laughs> 55! 11,371! Now, do you know how many have died from other causes? A lot. 100, not 100, 189,592. So let me just go back to these numbers. Um, 45 kids have died from COVID, 13,000 non-COVID. 11,000 under 55 have died from COVID. 189,000 from all other causes. Listen, I got four kids. I don't want anyone's kid to die from COVID or non-COVID or anything. It's terrible. It's tragic. Uh I know everyone this podcast is under 55. I don't want you fellows to die or any of our listeners dying. I don't want anyone dying ever. Can I just say that? I'm against people dying. I want everyone to live forever and ever and ever. But if you don't hear those numbers and go say, what? Then I, I really, Mr. New Hampshire, I really don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. So I mean, I'm not to be rude. I'm not trying to make life of my dying. If your kid died, listen, I would be a wreck. I'm not. So it's terrible. But the perspective, Josh, that we're getting when you have 45 from COVID and was it 13,000 from non-COVID? Like how, 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 how as a reporter do you actually sleep at night? I don't know. Um, like no, there was no, no concern for that. Just looking at clicks. I mean, there, there's a story. You know, you know, this, this, because we talk about oil and gas prices. I mean, this is why it's tied in because it, you know, needs to be tied in real quick. One more story. Headline. And Nate, you're you're Mr. Genius here, so we'll bring you on for this. We need your expertise here. Yeah. 
headline. Um, this was I posted on August eighth. So let's see here. So somewhere around there. This is NBCnews.com. That's a mainstream publication, right, guys? That's not like the fringe. That's like that's mainstream, right? Headline. Yeah, they're they're the mainstream media. It's instead mainstream of the fringe media. Okay, okay. It's not like some conspiracy side or not like that. Okay. Okay. No. This is the headline. California pastor threatens to defy coronavirus order as Georgia reports youngest fatality. What? <laughs> I read it again. <clears throat> what? It's really complicated. <laughs> what? California pastor threatens to defy coronavirus order as Georgia reports youngest fatality. Oh, that's rich. Now, this is the, uh, this is the, shoot, the Super Life Church or whatever in, uh, in Los Angeles, right? I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I thought, okay, when I read the headline, I was like, okay, so the, the pastor is like from Georgia and he's tied to the family or the kids from California, he's tied to the pastor. Like surely there's some link between Georgia and California. No, no, there's not. Other than one person on the East Coast did something and one person on the West Coast is doing something and the media is threading that needle coast to coast, literally coast to coast. So – uh, for, for our listeners, just a quick bit of reference. Uh, Los Angeles and Atlanta are currently, as of the time of this recording, 2,184 miles apart. That's, that's a long way. That is a long way, Ryan. And um, Well, I would suggest that that's kind of significant if you've got people dying of COVID in Georgia and California, which currently has travel bans on air travel at last i checked yeah the communist the communist regime in california has been pretty much like not letting anybody do anything but you know what's sad is a seven-year-old boy died and that's, yeah, that sucks that, that sucks that's terrible it, it, it from the, the story he had a seizure in the shower and then they couldn't save him terrible story terrible story why on earth what kind of human connects that to something in california the worst kind that's who you, ma'am, sir, I don't know who wrote the article. I won't pay attention. You are the worst kind of human. That's what you are. And I have no no respect for you as a as a person. So if that gives me a one-star review, I don't care. I really don't because I have zero respect for those type of people. Um, so um, here, is a, here is some poor kid who died, and they're connecting it to a church in California opening. And, you know, okay. So it's it's disgusting, the whole thing. So, anyways, um, back to positive. I'm positive that we will be talking about COVID again next week. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about Barnett Shell. Barnett Shell, uh, baby. World, Barnett's back. I'm sorry. Did Ryan news. say that he was positive with COVID? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody panic. <laughs> mm. Listen, make no bones about it. When I get it and die, they will run all across the world, you know, marginal podcaster dies after touting COVID, COVID conspiracy theories. Like that's, that's what's going to be on the headline. Sergio will probably print that at the Chronicle. Like that's probably, they will be calling him on, you know, Ryan was Ryan, our, uh, you know, you knew Ryan, he was a COVID truther. Sergio would be like, well, I didn't know him that well. I kept my distance before the COVID. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is, I, I can Ryan see Ryan Ray goes. was a great guy, but 
he didn't believe the science. And he died. <laughs> New Hampshire. You believe the science. Out. The state of New Hampshire will come out like ban my family from ever going there again. Listen, I know, I know how this story's ending. So <laughs> specific disavowal from Bob Murphy. <laughs> It's going to end bad. So if I die of COVID, I already know. I already know. So anyways, Josh, what else we got? Is that it? I believe that is it, sir. That uh, wraps it up for us today, I believe. All righty. We'll be back next week. And the big announcement we promised, haven't forgotten about that. We were trying to finalize uh, one or two more details. And so hopefully get that done today or tomorrow. And I will pop a quick episode on here to let everyone know. Nate, I know you have travels this week. Be safe, my friend. Um, And listeners, Oh, I thought you said it. Keep climbing, listeners. <laughs> <laughs>